Let's open those Bibles again to Psalm 22. Psalm 22, where I will briefly touch these verses and what they tell us about the Lord Jesus Christ suffering on the cross. This is definitely a messianic psalm, meaning that it is about the Messiah. The Lord Jesus Christ. Four verses in it are quoted in the New Testament showing us that while David may have been the penman, and while David may have obscurely realized some troubles in his own life, this is about the Lord Jesus Christ. When the sun comes out, the stars disappear from view. And when the Lord Jesus Christ is seen in this psalm, David disappears from view. I cannot exhaust each verse, because each verse... Many of them deserve a sermon themselves, but we will cover the chapter very quickly. To help you see a division in it, it can first be divided at the, between the 21st and 22nd verses, where there is a division from the prayer of the afflicted and then praise for God delivering him and the response of the righteous for their Savior's death. If you want to see three divisions, you can look at the first ten verses where the complaint or the forsaking is described of God forsaking His Son. Then the trouble that the Lord Jesus Christ was enduring from 11 through 21. And then again the salvation described in the final third from 22 through 31. And that final third includes us, brethren, us Gentiles, the nations of the earth, who will eat the gospel that is milk and honey without cost and without price, and feast upon the word of God, and rejoice, and tell our children what he hath done for us. Let us look at these verses quickly. Verse 1, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? The Lord Jesus Christ did trust in God, and God was his God. God was not only his God, God was his Father. These words right here describe the height, the depth, the breadth, the length of the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was not nails in his hand. It was not being pulled apart on the cross. It was not a crown of thorns in his head, as we shall consider in the second assembly. Those pains have been undergone by many men in the history of the world. No man has ever endured the first verse. No man has ever had a relationship with God like the Lord Jesus Christ did, but he lost that relationship of fellowship, friendship, comfort, blessing, approval and acceptance on the cross of Calvary because of your sins and my sins. The union between the Word of God, that is God Himself, and the human nature of Jesus Christ was not violated on the cross. The divine nature upheld the human nature to endure and bear all that He did. But the Father, that first person as we describe it, of the Godhead, withdrew His approval, withdrew his favor, withdrew his comfort.
from the Lord Jesus Christ, which he had relished all the days of his life, and which he had enjoyed every step of his conscious existence, was gone. That approval of the Father upon him. God withdraws fellowship from us for sin, and we should understand that with all the sins of the elect upon the Lord Jesus Christ, God again withdrew his fellowship from him. This was the first time Jesus had ever knew any degree of guilt or shame or fear. And yet he trusted in God, as you can see from this first person account of what he was saying on the cross. He is relying upon the word of God and the history of God being merciful to his people. And he is counting on the Lord to deliver him. And the Lord did deliver him. In this one psalm, we have the Lord not hearing him, and we have the Lord hearing him. Because it was only for a while that the Lord withdrew his mercy from Jesus Christ. Though he did hear and come with help later, he did not come immediately with the comfort our Savior sought under the punishment of the cross. We must remember that as the surety and mediator for our sins, Jesus had to undergo the punishment that we would otherwise have had to undergo. So in a finite period of time on the cross, in some way satisfactory to God's justice, Jesus Christ endured an eternity in hell for us. And the words are best expressed in the first verse. And this first verse tells us that the depth of Psalm 22 is far beyond a historical account of the events because it is showing us the heart of the Lord Jesus during His suffering. As He identifies what hurt Him, we can see in this passage the different categories of Christ's sufferings that we'll consider in the second assembly. Verse 2, O oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but Thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent. He cried and prayed with strong crying. Hebrews chapter 5 tells us, in the darkness of the night in the Garden of Gethsemane, and during the day, and then the darkness again of a hidden sun while he hung on the cross. Verse 3, But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. God his Father was worthy of every bit of praise Israel had ever given him. And Jesus admits that here in total faith and worship of God his Father. But he reminds himself. And he declares to God and worships him for his holiness. Because it was the holiness of God that caused him to withdraw his favorable approval of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, it was that same holiness or perfect purity from any sin that would also result in God eventually hearing him and coming to his rescue. Because he's going to go on in the next verses describing God's faithfulness. So under holiness here, we want to recognize that it's holiness that God cannot acquit the guilty or clear the wicked. He must separate himself from them. And yet it's his holiness that will cause him to hear every prayer of the righteous. Verse 4. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. In his prayer to God, Jesus reminded his father that he knew Israel's history and that he knew God was always faithful and had been faithful to the Israelite fathers. He had delivered them, though he may not deliver the moment 
you first begin praying. There were many prayers offered up in the Old Testament by saints, and the prayer took a while for the Lord to answer, but the Lord did answer. Verse 5, they cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. There was no permanent disappointment to their faith because they put their trust in thee. And when they cried, you did hear and you did deliver them. They were not ashamed, nor confounded, nor confused that you did not hear the prayers of righteous men because God did come to their rescue. As we considered on Wednesday evening from Brother Jerry, Psalm 18, David was in many distresses and he was in distresses for a while, but the Lord delivered him out of them all. Verse 6, he is in a different situation than Israel had ever been in before, than any Israelite had ever been in before. But I am a worm, and no man, a reproach of men, and despised of the people. Even David had many that loved him. The nation as a body, unless turned over by the Lord or following Absalom, loved David. But here the Lord Jesus Christ considers himself to be far beneath humanity by the way he's treated. There is no civility toward him at all. And he goes on to describe that. And as such a worm he is, calling upon the God of heaven to reach not only to the angels, not only to humanity, but beneath them, to the helpless creature that is usually stepped on and snuffed out of its existence. For you and for me. Here is why he is reproached and how he was despised. All they that see me, laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head. And then their words are quoted in the 8th verse, which are quoted in the New Testament as well. All that see me, everyone that passes by, instead of pity, shouldn't there be some measure of pity? Even if we know that we are executing judgment, a capital punishment for a capital criminal, it is still part of civility not to be laughing and making fun of that person when he's put to death. But they did the Lord Jesus Christ. He wasn't even treated like the two thieves that were beside him who were not being railed upon. For you and for me. I don't know what the angels were doing because the Bible doesn't tell us. But I know they ascended and descended upon the Lord Jesus Christ for the entirety of His ministry. And if they have any heart for serving God, like I trust this day you and I both have, they were trembling with eager desire to snuff out the lives of those mockers. If Abishai would say to David, let me go over and take the dead dog's head off, what would the angels of heaven say in their elect holiness against those who cursed the Lord Jesus Christ. They shoot out the lip. They were making faces at the Son of God on the cross. Every one of these clauses could be developed further, but that is not my purpose today. I do not want to get lost looking at the trees. I want us to see the forest of what Psalm 22 gives us. 
Verse 8, here's how they mocked him. He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. They did not think there was any possibility of God delivering him because it certainly didn't look like God was on his side. And so they mocked his faith. They knew him to be a God-trusting man the entirety of his life, but they considered him to be a lying, blaspheming imposter. So they make fun of his faith. And then the Lord takes up, But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Though they are saying, You are not going to deliver me, though they are claiming that my faith was vain and my trust without merit, that you would deliver me, I know better than that. And brethren, we all ought to remember this. If you want to know that you are saved and that God loves you, start with your conception. The Lord Jesus Christ was conceived in his mother's womb without the help of a man. Thou art he that took me out of the womb. Nine months of successful gestation and a birth is by God's providential mercy. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. Was the Lord Jesus Christ capable at some level of faith and hope in God while nursing from his mother Mary? Absolutely. As much as John the Baptist was capable of leaping for joy in his mother's womb before he felt his mother's warm breast. However, the Savior is describing his total trust in God's providential care of him and that he knows his Father will deliver him. He's putting his trust in him. Never was there faith like your Savior. Never. And you stand before God in his faith and righteousness. We are justified by the faith of Jesus Christ. It is only our faith that shows us to have been justified by his faith. It is his faithfulness. His belief in God, by His knowledge, shall my righteous servant justify many. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Because where was he born and where was he laid? In a manger. An eating trough, a feeding trough of animals is all that it was. It was not a baby's bed that rocked. It was a feeding trough. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. You have taken care of me from the very beginning, and I know you will take care of me now. Be not far from me. O Lord, my God, you have forsaken me, but the prayers of your people have always resulted in your deliverance. And though I am being treated more pitifully and painfully than any man before me, you have taken me from the moment of conception to this moment, and I'm trusting you, but don't be far away. I need you right now. For trouble is near, for there is none to help. There was no one with him. Where were his disciples? They had fled in the garden of Gethsemane. One had fled from a little maid at a fire in the, at the chief priest's house. Verse 12, many bulls have compassed me, Strong bowls of Bashan have beset me round. There's descriptions in the Bible of the well-fed bulls of Bashan. And if you've ever been near a bull, they are a violent, haughty, powerful animal that has no regard for anything in front of it. They're strong and they're fearful. That's why we have such a thing as called oxen and steers. 
because they're no longer bulls. Bulls are violent. And the men that were around the cross, the men that he had been with for the last 12 hours during his trial and leading up to his crucifixion, he describes as bulls, and they're all surrounding him. He can't get away from them. They have beset me round, and there's no one to help. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. They made fun of him. They ridiculed him. They dared him to escape from them. They mocked him as a king. They gaped upon him and told him what they were going to do to him. Verse 14, I am poured out like water. And all my bones are out of joint. When you're poured out like water, there's no vitality left. The dehydration is setting in and you feel weak in all parts of your body. All my bones are out of joint because he is suspended by nails in his hands and his feet hanging from a cross that was dropped into its place after he was nailed to it and it was raised into the air. My heart is like wax. That powerful heart in a young man in his early 30s that is able to still run the fastest times because a man reaches his physical peak for athletic performance in his early 30s is melted like wax in the middle of the Lord Jesus Christ for you and for me. And so when your heart is beating as a young man, and you're able to do great things, you should be doing those great things for God, who when in the fullness of time and in the prime of his life, his heart was melted like wax for you. When was the last time you exhausted yourself on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ? It is melted in the midst of my bowels. It's barely beating. It's not filling him with vitality and energy and strength. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. That's a broken piece of dried pottery. Pottery that isn't dry doesn't break. It bends and folds. But once it's all dried out in a brick kiln and you drop it on a hard surface, it shatters. And it breaks. And he's dried up like a potsherd. And my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. There's no moisture left in his body. His body cannot produce the moisture to water his mouth. So it's hard to breathe. And I have seen it before. And some of you have seen that before. But the Lord Jesus Christ was enduring this not for His sins, but for your sins and for my sins. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death. He can taste the fact that His heart, His breathing, His moisture, His dehydration, His strength is gone. And He's tasting the dust of death. He is close to death. Another aspect of his suffering, for dogs have compassed me. There were no four-legged kind there. There were two-legged dogs there. Voracious, wild, lustful, greedy, loud animals. The Bible always describes dogs that way. And the dogs of the Middle East... And the dogs at this time were somewhat different than the dogs that you have. But he calls them dogs, like a pack of hyenas, unmerciful, loud, barking, eating, devouring, anything. They've compassed me. Notice the times that we're reading. I'm surrounded by them. There's no way for me to get away. There's no security for my back. I'm not in a corner. I'm surrounded The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, verse 16. 
They pierced my hands and my feet. These things never happened to David. David would never have in a thousand years use a metaphor, they have pierced my hands and my feet. This is a psalm about the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's waging a battle inside my own soul to supplant. Psalm 45 is my favorite. As I have read it this past week and thought upon all that it says about the Lord Jesus Christ in the first person. It's Him describing His sufferings. Verse 17, I may tell all my bones. His bones are sticking out. His bones are out of joint. He did not live the life of a luxurious man. He lived the life of a traveling man. He was thin. Now he's held up there without food in his belly, without moisture in him. The blood's run out. His bones are looking at him. He can, he can look at them and he can tell his bones that everyone else is looking at them as well. Because the second half of verse 17 is not a ant, is not a pronoun referring to bones, but to the dogs and the wicked around the cross. They look and stare upon me. Men walking by instead of looking the other way at a naked man in grief at the moment of death are not looking away, but instead mocking him and sticking out the lip and, and daring him and challenging him and ridiculing his faith. And they stare at him. Part of the humiliation of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. We had that read to us this morning as one of the descriptions of what was taking place at the cross. Here is another verse that is fulfilled in the New Testament. But here the Lord is still crying for help. Verse 19, But be not thou far from me, O Lord. O my strength, haste thee to help me. The Lord Jesus knew what his strength was. And you and I should always remember what our strength is. It is the Lord and he alone. Man has no glory or strength of his own. And he doesn't want the Lord to be far from him. David would cry in Psalm 51 after his own sins, Take not thy Holy Spirit from me, and don't take your presence away from me, O Lord. But Jesus Christ is suffering not for his sins, but for yours. Verse 20, Deliver my soul from the sword my darling, from the power of the dog. Sword is used here merely as a metonym for death. And his darling is another word for his soul, his life, his existence as a combined being with body, soul, and spirit. Deliver me. Deliver my darling from the power of the dog. For now we have a singular noun brought into the picture that has not been here before. And the singular dog is the devil himself. Deliver me from the power of the dog, not dogs. Dogs have already been mentioned as the company of the wicked, but one particular dog. One particular, violent, rapacious creature, the devil himself. For the next verse goes on to say, Save me from the lion's singular mouth. The devil is as a roaring lion, walking about seeking whom he may devour. 
and the New Testament, the Lord Jesus Christ makes statements that now is the power of darkness. He tells his disciples, I must go to Jerusalem and be sacrificed. My hour is come, and Satan is after me, and he hath nothing in me. There is nothing that he can accuse the Lord Jesus Christ of, and there is no weakness for him to take an advantage of the Savior. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. Whether mystical beasts or rhinoceroses or similar creatures to them, violent beasts known for strength and violence against men, Notice the transition in the middle of the 21st verse. Jesus is praying, is praying, is begging His Father who's forsaken Him for help and deliverance through the first clause of verse 21. But He switches in the middle of that 21st verse. For thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns, being tossed by great creatures of prey, Around the cross, he knows that God is delivering him. And he was delivered. And we heard the words this morning read to us, It is finished. And then the words, and those seven sayings you heard were in the order in which they occurred, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. After finishing the work of redemption, he then could offer himself into the hands of God his Father. The greatest faith ever was at the moment of the death of the Son of God when he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. The Father, a few hours earlier that he described as having forsaken him, he now offered himself as he breathed out his last and fell into the everlasting arms and he was not dropped. And the angels bore his spirit up, and he was in heaven that day as he told the thief, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. If the Lord Jesus Christ can do that entirely forsaken, surely we can do it not forsaken. Verse 22, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. The Lord Jesus Christ appeared with his disciples on successive first days of the week after his resurrection from the dead and declared that he was alive to the disciples. This verse is quoted in Hebrews chapter 2 for you to know that Jesus Christ is not ashamed to call you brethren because he died for you. He's the captain of your salvation and he's not ashamed of all his elect. And so this verse is pulled by Paul into Hebrews 2 by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to comfort us that we are the brethren of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what we should do. And the rest of this psalm is the response of the elect and the righteous. Ye that fear the Lord, praise Him. Now most under the old covenant would not even have known who this was written about. They would have asked the same question as the Ethiopian eunuch did. Who is the prophet speaking of? Himself or another man? But we can preach Jesus. And we can sing Jesus. And we can read about the Lord Jesus Christ. Ye that fear the Lord, praise Him. And that's what we're doing today. All ye the seed of Jacob. 
And we understand that is the elect seed, glorify Him. And fear Him, all ye the seed of Israel. For He, that this is God, hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, neither hath He hid His face from Him, but when He cried unto Him, He heard. Now if you're wondering, verse 24 sounds like it's contradicting verse 1 and 2. Only for a matter of a short period of time. Because He did hear Him. Just like David was in great distress and thought that he was brought to the edge of the grave himself many times, yet God did deliver. And because God doesn't answer you when you first pray or when you second pray, don't give up the third prayer. Keep praying. What an example we have in Psalm 22 of Jesus teaching men ought always to pray and not to faint. If there was ever a time for a man to faint, it was the Lord Jesus Christ. But he kept up his faith and his faith in praying. Verse 25, My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. He appeared to us an assembly of how many before he ascended into heaven? Of above 500 brethren at once. Praise the Lord. I will pay my vows before them that fear him. The meek, these are the simple, the lowly, the poor of the world. These are the elect that are poor. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They will eat the privileged and luxurious fare of the gospel and be satisfied with what they hear, for their conscience will be purged from dead works to serve the living and true God. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. And when we find, even before the crucifixion, we find certain saints in Jerusalem waiting for the redemption. Looking for salvation. Because they knew the prophecies of Daniel chapter 9 and other places that told them when Messiah would appear. But as they heard the gospel, when the apostle Paul would preach in a synagogue like Antioch, of Pisidia in Acts chapter 13, did the hearers rejoice? Did some of the hearers rejoice? Was there a great division made? The meek, the humble Gentiles, the lowly Gentiles that were considered only associate members, proselytes in the synagogue worship of the Jews, rejoiced when they heard this news that he had done this for them, and that their souls, though Gentiles, would live forever by the sacrifice of Jesus. Verse 27, All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord, and all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. And here we are this day, so far removed from Israel geographically, and so far removed in time, 2,000 years later, but here we remember And turn unto the Lord. When we think upon what Jesus Christ did for us, we turn again unto the Lord. And we worship before Him. For the kingdom is the Lord's. He's King of all. And He sent His Son to be the Savior of His people. And He is the governor among the nations. The Lord Jesus Christ now reigns as King of kings and Lord of lords. Did God hear him? Did God deliver him? Not only did he deliver him, he promoted him and rewarded him and gave him a portion of the spoil and told him to divide that spoil with the strong, as we had read to us from Isaiah 53. All they that be fat upon earth 
These are the rich. They're separate from the meek of the verse that we read back in verse 26. All they that be fat upon earth, these are prosperous and fat men shall eat and worship. They also will hear the gospel tidings and partake of it. All they that go down to the dust shall bow before him. Those that have no lofty position, but are considered very lowly, they shall bow as well, and none can keep alive his own soul. My brethren, sin deserves terrible punishment. Thou shalt not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And our first father ate. And in the day that he ate thereof, he died spiritually. 930 years later, he died physically. And if Adam is in hell, where it's the only place we can suspect him to be without knowing the book of life, when he is judged in the great day of judgment, he will be cast into the lake of fire to die the third time and the third way called the second death in the lake of fire. Because of sin. None can keep alive his own soul. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. We are all dependent upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you read Revelation chapter 20 verses 11 through 15. And I saw a great white throne. And him that sat upon it. From whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And every man was judged according to his works. And whosoever was not found written in the Lamb's book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. We... We're born dead spiritually. We are dying physically. And there is another death that is far worse when wicked men will be cast into the lake of fire. None can keep alive his own soul. There's there's no riches. No man can give to God a ransom for the soul of a brother, as Psalm 49 would describe. If you want to measure the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ then consider what it undid for you. An eternity of torment. You do not like a match held near your finger for even one second, let alone to drown in the terror of the lake of fire for eternity. But that is where we are headed without Psalm 22. None can keep alive his own soul. In that day you will not snow the judge. In that day you will not get any leniency. In that day you will know the holy and righteous nature of God who says of himself, he cannot acquit the wicked, nor can he clear the guilty. But thanks be to Jesus Christ, we are neither wicked nor guilty. We are made righteous by this psalm. And what it describes for us of what took place on Calvary. Verse 30, And brethren, are you in this little word? A seed shall serve him. Do you know what we're doing today? We're serving him. 
2,000 years later, 5,000 miles away, were serving him. A seed shall serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. You had read to you earlier this day, who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. He had no progeny. He had no family. He never married. He had no children. He had no brethren. He was cut off. Oh, I'm telling you who his family is right now from Psalm 22. We're to study the whole Bible, not just part of the Bible. A seed shall serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. When Jesus Christ stands before God, he will say, Behold, I am the children which thou hast given me. Praise his name. We are the generation of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are blood-bought brethren. Blood is thicker than blood because the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ unites us closer than any family blood. Who cares about DNA similarity? I want the spiritual DNA of the Lord Jesus Christ in His righteousness and blood washing over my soul. Verse 31, This seed, they, it's plural. It's not a singular, it's a plural. They shall come and shall declare His righteousness unto a people that shall be born. And all my children and all your children hear the word of the Lord. This is why we're assembling this way this day, that you, our children, and our grandchildren can hear us declare the righteousness of the Lord who has saved us unto a people that has been born, because you're here with us, that He hath done this. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ did. This is what Jesus finished on the cross of Calvary. This is what He did. This is why we're Christians. This is why we meet here. This is why we have the Lord's Supper the way we do. This is why we worship the way we do. This is why we tell you there are certain things you cannot and should not do. This is why we tell you there are things that you can and should do. Because He hath done this. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. And what has He done? He's put away all our sins and all the punishment that you deserve for those sins by His death on the cross. How can you know that you're His seed? Believe on Him. And ye that fear Him, praise Him. If you have the fear of God in you, and you love the message of the Lord Jesus Christ, then eat it up and worship. Then eat it up and praise Him. Then eat it up and sing back to Him. And tell Him that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and the Savior of His people. And you will live for Him for the rest of your life. You can come out of Psalm 22 knowing that you are the seed that is serving Him 2,000 years later and far removed. But nonetheless, you and your heart shall live forever. May God bless Psalm 22 to our hearts. Amen.